the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. All right, good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. We are underway at eight minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on a Wednesday, the 31st and final morning of the month of January in the year of our Lord, 2024. Yes, indeed, uh, Division Month starts tomorrow. You know, of course, tomorrow's the start of February, and that means it is Black History Month. And while we certainly recognize and support black history, it is, of course, history. It's part of American history. Still waiting. I think the government is working on it. We're gonna we're gonna very soon have our Hispanic History Month. Uh, probably not that far after an Asian American History Month. Not, is there gonna be a white history? No, no, no. That's just part of history. Isn't that amazing how that works? Yeah. So Division Month tomorrow begins, which means we got a lot of work to get done today as we wrap it up. Come up, a special Wednesday treat for you, because normally we talk to him on Mondays, uh, and I'm talking, of course, about Congressman Jim Jordan. He will be with us at 935 to talk about the impeachment hearing yesterday in the Homeland Security Committee that got a little heated, as you can imagine, <clears throat> as uh, they try to get rid of uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, the uh, most uh, pathetic uh, secretary, I think, maybe in, in American cabinet history, certainly in the history of the Homeland Security uh, Department. But, uh, yeah, they are trying to remove him, and it got heated yesterday. Jim Jordan will talk to us about that and a whole lot more, including Texas Razor Wire, uh, commandeering Texas National Guardsmen, Joe Biden lying about Title Eight, and more. We'll get into that. At 1010, we're going to talk to a former Biden stenographer, named Mike McCormick, who wrote The Case to Impeach and Imprison Joe Biden. That's his book. I love the title. You're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I have not read this book, and I'm judging it by its title. It's awesome. (laughs) Just because of the title. The Case to Impeach and Imprison Joe Biden. Yeah. 
That'll be at 1010. And then at 1110, we're going to hit up uh, Gregory Wrightstone again. He's the executive director of the CO2 Coalition. Uh, we talked to Gregory a few weeks back about uh, some of the ridiculous nonsense coming from COP28, the uh, climate uh, conference uh, in, uh, uh, where was that being done? It was at, I can't remember, Roden Davos. Uh, anyway, uh, but we're going to talk to him about um, a new kind of development, I guess. Trillions of dollars have been spent on climate change based on what experts are finding out is faulty temperature data. The one thing that they have to cling to in their in their green gangrene energy movement is you know it's the temperature the surfs or the earth's surface temperature has gone up by 0.4 degrees in the last hundred years or if it goes up by 1.5 degrees it's going to be blah 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 and this is just the nonsense that they're going to try to again uh, uh enslave all of us honestly literally with globalist masters uh, they're using faulty uh, temperature data. The one thing they have to hang on to, which is the temperatures, it's not accurate. Meteorologists uh, and climatologists are finding out 96% of the NOAA temperature stations located in urban heat islands, including next to exhaust fans and sitting on blistering hot rooftops, <laughs> are not reliable. What a shock. Gregory Wrightstone will be with us to uh, poke holes in all of that nonsense. He's a uh, geologist uh, and an expert reviewer for the IPCC. That's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So that'll be coming up at 11.10. So there you go. Jim Jordan, Mike McCormick, Gregory Redstone will be with us. We have a lot of st- uh, stories to get into this morning. I'll run through those with you after we do our pledge. Patriots, go ahead and stand. Put your uh, uh, heart on your heart on your hand. That'd be a little difficult. Put your hand on your heart, though, and uh, face your flag and join us for this pledge. If you are a true believer in the exceptionalism of America and a believer in the the Constitution and our liberty, let's go ahead and uh, and say so. If you don't believe in those things, if you are a supporter of surrendering American security and sovereignty at our southern border. Uh, if you are a supporter of the enslavement of the American people as it is currently being developed by the Biden administration and his globalist partners, well, just uh, just go ahead and take a knee over there like a good little Marxist. We know where you really stand. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So can you believe it? Joe Biden is finally coming to Ohio. He's finally going to come to East Palestine. I tweeted something yesterday, and I said, and it was an article about um, how difficult it is to clean up the toxic uh, damage uh, done by that uh, that train derailment uh, just uh, under one year ago. And uh, and I said, here are the only Palestinians that we should be concerned about, the ones here in Ohio, East Palestinians, to be precise. And, um, yeah, it looks like Joe Biden, after promising for a year that he would go and look and observe the, the disaster and, and talk to the people there and find out what the federal government can do to help them and see what their needs are. Remember, this is what you do. It's what every president does when things like this happen, except this one. Why? We know why. East Palestine is in a region of the state of Ohio, in a state of Ohio, that went very, very heavily for Donald Trump. They don't like Joe Biden very much out there. So since they don't agree with his politics and he doesn't agree with their ideology, but suddenly he's going to show up next month in February. Don't have the date yet, but he's going to finally photo op his way into East Palestine, Ohio. 
And the only reason that could possibly be on the one-year anniversary, if he does it on the one-year anniversary or thereabouts, is, again, polling. It is. He is polling at, at historic lows, not just for him, but for any president at this stage of their re-election campaign. He is polling at historically low numbers, and he wants to look like he cares. He wants to look like he really, truly is in touch with the people who suffered and the people who are continuing to suffer from the mismanagement of, of, uh, of that disaster. And so he's showing up in East Palestine. Might ask Jim Jordan about that, too. I wonder if he'll be with him. <laughs> the Mayorkas, I can say that very easily, the Mayorkas impeachment hearings, as I said yesterday, got just a little bit heated, as you can imagine. But as what they needed to do was done, uh, and that is uh, they went ahead and got that out of the Homeland Security Committee, and it's going to go before a full House vote. The Democrats continued during that hearing to claim that the Republicans, the mega extremist Republicans, were were being disingenuous and talking about how Joe Biden has tried to secure the border and they've been the ones who got in the way. He he proposed a a bill to fix immigration on day one when he came in. No, what he did on day one was he literally opened the border. He ended the Remain in Mexico policy. He ended Uh, Every single step uh, that Trump had made to secure the border with physical barriers, I can't even call it a wall, but it's a start of a wall, I guess. But he shut that down immediately and said there would not be one more foot of wall built. Um, He opened the border, period, and it has been open ever since. But they're continuing to say that he, um, Joe Biden, um, can't do anything else without congressional authority that the the Congress has to agree to this bill that the Senate has put together, this bipartisan Senate plan. And if uh, if Congress doesn't support that and agree to that, then, uh, then he can't do anything. His hands are tied. Did you hear what he said yesterday outside of Air Force? I love this, by the way. The And I, by, by that, I mean, I hate this. You're gonna ears are going to burst here in a second because of the sound of the chopper and the, the jet engine and everything else out there when they, they interview him on the... Uh, 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 near uh, when near his boarding of Air Force One, I'll try to fast forward through some of the noise. Everything you can do with executive authority, or is there more you can do? Absolutely, got all I can do. Just give me the power. I've asked for the very day I got it off. He said, I've done all I can do, talking about the border. I've done all I can do. Give me the power. I asked the very day I came into office, in case you can't hear him. Give me the border patrol. Give me, Give me the border patrol. Give me the, people. Give me the people, the judges. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work rationally. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work rationally, he said. Okay, interesting. Give me the people who can stop this. Stop what? Because for three years now, you have sent the bubble-headed, uh, well, actually, the first bubble-head was, uh, was uh, Propaganda Patty, uh, Jen Psaki. You sent her, and then it was the diversity hire, KJP, uh, who's black and gay. Did Everybody knows she's black and gay, right? Yeah, make sure you know she's black and gay. They want credit for all of the boxes checked in their diversity uh, 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 quotas. Anyway, the, sent the bubble-headed uh, uh, diversity hire out there to tell us that the border is secure. Alejandro Mayorkas said the border is secure. Did you just testify against Alejandro Mayorkas in the impeachment hearing, Joe Biden? You just said, give me the people who can stop this. That means it is open. Wow, you've been lying. Your press secretaries have been lying. Your so Homeland Security se- uh, secretary has been lying because they've been t- telling us that it's closed.
Now you're saying, give me the people who can stop this. What? How can that be? The reality. He has everything he needs to stop this. He needs nothing from anyone ever anywhere. He has always had this power. Well, not always, but the president has always had this power since 1952 when it was passed. Title Eight of the U.S. Code. Let me say this again. Title Eight of the U.S. Code, which is um, section. I'm sorry. Within uh, section 212F, 212F tells Joe Biden he can do exactly what he says he needs. Some sort of special congressional bill to be able to do. It reads. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation, I'm going to pause there, let that sink in. It doesn't say legislation. doesn't say he has to run it by Congress. He may, by proclamation, that's executive authority, and for such period as he shall deem necessary... It's all up to him. Suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. End of quote. Did you catch all of that? But he wants you to believe that there's nothing he can do. He stood next to the freaking jet engine there and tried to shout over it and tell us that I've done all I can do. I can't do anything else. I've got to get this done. I've got to get this bill passed. No, you're trying to funnel more money to your son's boss, Volodymyr Zelensky. You are trying to do everything you can to cater to the whims of your globalist masters. Stop gaslighting us. I want everybody to memorize these Letters and numbers. Title Eight, Section 212F. All you need to remember. Can you do that? Anytime any leftist, any Biden voter, any Democrat tries to tell you that the Republicans are stopping Biden from closing the border, that the Republicans want the border to stay open so more people can come in, so they can campaign on it and call Biden the open borders president in November. Anybody tries to tell you that the Republican Congress is to blame for this, they're the ones stopping it, you tell them, Title VIII, Section 212F. That's all you have to say. Tell them, look it up. Title VIII of the U.S. Code, Section 212F. It's It's the Immigration and Nationality Act. He needs nothing except his own... You know how we know this? Because we used this for four years when Trump was president, defending his remain in Mexico policy, the building of the border wall, all of the different steps that he took to try to get the immigration under control, we said he has a right to do this. They kept saying, oh, uh, it's unconstitutional. Uh, Congress has to do it. My A. No, it doesn't. Title VIII, Section 212F. I remember reading this for four years during the Trump administration, but for the opposite reason, saying he has a right to use this. And in, in Biden's case, it's saying he should be using this. He also has a right. The difference is Trump used it. He didn't. He isn't. Biden isn't. That's the reality of it. So they continue to gaslight us during the impeachment hearing. We're going to talk a little bit about that with Jim Jordan coming up as well. By the way, uh, 
Hugh Hewitt wrote a great op-ed. Give Hugh Hewitt a lot of credit here. And he talked about it on his program this morning as well. He wrote a great op-ed that ran in Fox News, uh, or on Fox News uh, website, uh, foxnews.com. And I want to give him all kinds of credit for this. Um, Headline, the Senate and House GOP must walk away from any immigration compromise that does not begin with the completion of the wall. Kudos, bravo, exactly right, Hugh Hewitt. No wall, no deal. The southern border is a national security threat of the first order, said Ambassador Robert O'Brien to Hugh Hewitt over the weekend. Uh, He said if negotiations are underway between Republicans and Democrats on border security, if those negotiations do not produce a bill that guarantees the rapid construction of a 900-mile wall along the passable areas of the U.S.-Mexico border, the bill will not and should not pass the House. It shouldn't even pass the Senate quite frankly, but we all know that uh, there's a one-vote majority for the Democrats over there. Sadly, it'll be more than a one-vote victory if it passes. Because Mitch McConnell and some other open borders, rhinos on the Senate side, support it. They're the ones they want to send money to Ukraine, too. But as Hugh Hewitt writes, there is no wiggle, wiggle room here, no set of talking points to avoid the key issue. Is the wall going to get built or not? If not, shut down the talks and let's have a campaign on the issue and trust the people to decide this in November. That's it. The border is a national security threat. We need to lock down the borders and do it yesterday. Hugh Hewitt, uh, terrific op-ed today uh, in uh, on foxnews.com. All right, uh, one more note on illegal immigration. Illegal aliens, a, 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 a gang of them, attacked New York City Police Department cops for daring to try to clear them from an area and saying, move along. They beat them. Then they were, uh, no one no one arrested them. Then when they were arrested, uh, after the fact, they were released immediately. There is no law, there is no order in a country where people are released based on what they look like or what protected class they are in. And now... Illegal immigrants are in a protected class. In the same way ethnic and racial minorities are, they can do whatever they want, and there are no consequences. How do I know that? Because this is one of the other top stories of the morning. Six pro-life activists have been convicted and are facing 11 years in prison for their, their daring to pray and to sing at an abortion factory in Tennessee. They were arrested for violating the FACE Act. And conspiring against rights is the way it was described, a charge that could lead to federal, 11 years in federal prison. The protest took place in a hallway outside of an abortion factory on March 5th, 2021. The group of demonstrators gathered on the second floor of an office building there, and they sang hymns, and they prayed, and they encouraged women to think twice about getting their abortion. For this, 11 years in prison. This, this news comes two days after BLM rioters were just, it was just announced, are going to be paid tens of millions of dollars in Seattle for police misconduct as they burned, looted, destroyed, vandalized, and insulted their city. So just to make that clear, rioters, if they are of the right protected class when it comes to race or when it comes to ethnicity or immigration status and so forth, rioters and lawbreakers and violent criminals get millions of dollars in reparations. That's the only way to say it. While people who pray outside abortion clinics get prison. This, my friends, is Joe Biden's America. And I hope you remember that every single day of 2024 until Election Day.
All right, it's 925. We'll take a time out here. We've got a lot of other stories to get into. I didn't touch them all, but I think I hit the main ones. Jim Jordan will hit them with us coming up. Congressman Jordan uh, from the... Uh... The answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 934, we roll onward. The uh, demon rats are freaking out on Capitol Hill because the Republicans are finally getting off of their rear ends and getting something done. Yesterday, the House Homeland Security Committee did indeed get something done. They referred Alejandra Mayorkas for, uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the entire Congress, for, or House, I should say, for a floor vote. Uh, Speaker Mike Johnson said he will indeed give one on their way out. Benny Thompson, among the demon rats, just freaking out about this, said, Joe Biden's been doing a good job on the border. Listen. Couldn't uh, President Biden solve a lot of what's going on at the border in terms of uh, the the encounters, the record amount of encounters? Couldn't he do a lot of that via executive order? That's what Republicans have been saying, because he rescinded a lot of the Trump-era executive orders related to the border. Well, I think he's doing a good job with those executive orders he's put in place. Uh, the question is whether or not the, the numbers coming across the border can be uh, decreased. I think he's doing a good job. <laughs> he's doing it. He's doing a good job, says Benny Thompson, but, you know, we're trying to see how the numbers can be decreased, but he's doing a good job. If he's doing a good job, we wouldn't have to be talking about how to decrease these record numbers. This is what they offered yesterday. So once again, the Donald Trump and MAGA plan is alligator moats, bombing northern Mexico, shooting migrants in the legs, and electrifying the fence and putting spikes on them. That is the Donald Trump border plan. <laughs> That's Representative Robert Garcia uh, with the histrionics there as well. You know what? If it stops the uh, destruction of the United States of America, I'll put anything in that water. I don't care if it's gators or spikes or anything else. All right, let's bring in Jim Jordan now. Congressman Jordan is Ohio's 4th Congressional District Representative. He is, of course, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, also the uh, Weaponization Subcommittee, and he's on the Oversight Committee. But yesterday, all of the action was in the Homeland Security Committee. Congressman Jordan, good morning. Morning, Bob. And I would just say this. I, I just heard the Congressman Garcia's comments. The, the Biden plan is to take American taxpayer dollars and use that to tear down border fence that was put up by Texas taxpayer dollars. Now, you talk about stupid. I don't know. I don't know what is what could be dumber than that. This, this is just sort of the epitome of how ridiculous their policy has been for what now? Three years and 11 days. Yeah. Yeah, I completely concur. It is uh, it is remarkable listening to some of them say that Alejandro Mayorkas and that Joe Biden are not trying to facilitate an open borders policy here. While we have video of of fed, feds uh, driving forklifts, scooping those blades underneath razor wire, lifting them high like a bridge for illegal aliens to walk under and come into the United States. How on earth can they say they support the securing of our border now when they literally are doing that last week? No, I, I know. And it's. And again, it's uh, Americans have common sense. They're, they're, they, you know, they, they, they can see it with their own two eyes. They know what's, uh, what's been happening there. Eight, eight point something million in three years and eleven days, on pace to get to twelve million, as we talked about last week. The equivalent of the entire population of our great state, the seventh largest state in the union. That's the magnitude of this problem. And uh, Mr. Mayorkas has been at the helm, and he's failed to enforce the law. And there's, as, as the articles say, there's a breach of public trust. And the breach of public trust is when he comes in front of the, the Congress and isn't straight with us about the facts, and, and, you know, in essence, misleading the American people, 
That's a problem when you're the Secretary of Homeland Security. Remember when he couldn't answer the fundamental question we asked him, what's the number on the terrorist watch list? I'll have to get back with you, Congressman. That That, that is this guy who is, is in, in charge of security of the homeland, and uh, it's why Chairman Green and his committee are doing the work they're doing and spent all day yesterday with these uh, with this uh, Article 7 piece. So um, according to what I read, Speaker Johnson says he will bring this to a full floor vote as, humanly, uh, as fast as humanly possible. How fast can that be? I think it's probably next week. Um, I think it's probably next week, and we'll vote on There's three things need to happen. We need to pass this, this impe- these articles of impeachment next week. Um, we need to then say on the appropriations bill, we need to put, I think, simple language. We've talked about this. I mean, you, you talked to HR2, the bill we passed, was a great piece of legislation. But I don't know that, that the country knows exactly what's in it. It talks about asylum and parole and all these things. I think, you, I think we're – I did this yesterday in a, in, a, in a different hearing. I asked the assistant attorney general from Texas. I said, shouldn't we just call a timeout? Shouldn't we just say no more migrants can come in the country? No more migrants seeking asylum can enter the country. And, and he, he said, of course, that's what we should do. So I think that's the sense. No money can be used to process or release in the country any new migrants. No money can be used to tear down barriers that the Texas taxpayers have put up or the, or the Arizona taxpayers have put up. Uh, th- that's those two And the country gets it like, well, that's common sense. Why wouldn't we do that? That, to me, is what we put on the, the appropriation bills that are coming. And then the third step, of course, is an election in November where you've got to put back in, in, the, in the White House the guy who actually had security on our border, uh, President Trump. Yeah, those are those are common sense uh, reforms, um, but that's not what's in the Senate bill, from what we understand. That is uh, supported no. by bipartisan <laughs> bipartisan group of senators that want to send this over to you. That Biden says I'll sign immediately. That's going to allow five thousand a day illegals, uh, which I did the math is one hundred fifty thousand a month. Ooh, that was hard. Fifty thousand times thirty, and then yeah, that's one point eight million per year. That before he would ever okay. then close the border. Meanwhile, Biden, I won't play this for you because it'll blow your eardrums out because he's outside of Air Force one there in jet engines and chopper blades are loud as hell but he said um they need to give me the power they're going to give me the power and give me what i need so that i can stop this wait a minute you and your your homeland security director said everything is closed what do you mean so you can stop this you're now admitting that it's not closed congressman what is your understanding of what is in this senate bill well that provision that you talked about which by the way so instead of so instead of getting 12 million over uh, the Biden presidency, we're going to get 10.8 million. Big, I mean, holy cow. So a lot of good that bill is going to do it. So, yeah, the, the speaker's been clear on this as well. We're not, we're not going to, based on what we've heard in that bill, there's no way that thing is, is going to pass. I, I would say that we just say no to that. We're not going to fund Ukraine. We're not going to do that. And we're going to put the, the language I talked about on the, the bills that fund the government. That's where you got to have, because those bills have to pass. This this supplemental, it doesn't have to pass. The bills that have to pass are the bills that actually make sure uh, you know, the government's funded and you pay in the troops. So put the, the key language on that legislation to actually help address the problem on the border. We're talking to Congressman Jim Jordan. We're talking about the border issue. I want to hit you with uh, something that we talked about at length during the Trump administration. We used it to discuss why Donald Trump is able to do what he is doing, and that is Title Eight, Section 212F of the U.S. Code. Immigration and Nationality Act says that the president can, indeed, uh, when he finds the entry of any aliens or class of aliens is detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation, not legislation, he doesn't need you, he doesn't need Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer, 
by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens or impose on any on the entry of any aliens any restrictions he deems to be appropriate. Congressman, why is Joe Biden lying to the American people saying he needs some sort of new special bill to do something that's already in U.S. code under his power? Because that's the Biden administration. They can't do anything right. I think I, I don't know if they could do anything right, even if they tried. Um, there's not one, literally not one positive thing you can point to in this industry. And, and I, I know that sounds partisan and all that's conservative Republican Jim Jordan talking about the them. No, but, but, you know, you run down the list. I, that's why I think this campaign is going to be so, so basic. We went from a secure border to no border, safe streets to record crime, $2 gas to $4 gas, stable prices to record inflation, all under Joe Biden. We, it, we, I mean, and, and all intentional by their stupid policies particularly the border that we're talking about. And then we have weakness projected from the Oval Office, and that's what led to the tragedy where we lost three of our service members from Georgia this past week. Uh, This is what has led to Hamas and Hezbollah attacking Israel. This is why Russia went into Ukraine, because you got weakness in the Oval Office versus what you have with President Trump. I mean, it it is you could go on, and and not to mention the the agencies being turned on the American people, the weaponization of, of the federal government against we the people. So that's the campaign. You want the guy who's, who was doing the right thing in all those areas or the guy who's doing the wrong thing. That, that's the campaign. And on the border, it is obviously intentional what they have done. So uh, to me, this, this is, there's never been a clearer contrast when you're looking at who, who's going to be the next commander-in-chief, um, who's going to be the next president, than we have now. Because it is so clear. And it's only been in three years and 11 days where all that has turned around. Uh, we're talking to Congressman Jim Jordan, very well said. So last thing on the issue at the border, um, you know, we, we know what the Supreme Court said. You can go ahead and keep cutting that razor wire down. Biden and uh, the White House have suggested that they will uh, try to commandeer the Texas National Guard. Fortunately, 25 different governors, red state governors, uh, stepped up and said, we stand with Texas. And some have said, we'll send you more razor wire. Others have said, we'll send you our National Guard. If they try to commandeer yours, we're not going to allow this to happen. How do you see the showdown between the the United States and the state of Texas for t- states' rights uh, shaking out? Well, again, I think the, the, the common sense of the American people says, like, what is, what is the Biden administration? They're really going to go down there and continue to, like, tear out the borders that the Texas taxpayers paid to put up? I mean, that, that this just seems stupid. Like I said, it's just dumb. So I, I, I hope they get some, some common sense in the Biden administration. But this is where Congress needs to step in. The founders had a system where it says the House and the Senate, the legislative branch, controls the purse. Tell the Biden administration, you can't spend money on that. And then if they try to, then it, then it goes to the judiciary. Then it goes to the court. I mean, th- this is how our, our great constitution, the greatest country, greatest constitution ever, this is how it works. So, frankly, we need to, in, in the legislative branch here in the Congress, we need to say, you can't spend money for that kind of baloney. And that will help this situation so that we don't have any 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 bigger concerns than what we currently have, where you got the federal government saying one thing and the state government saying something else. So, um, first of all, it's it's an astounding thing, honestly, when you think about the fact that they would go down there and do this. But but you said how stupid way they have. They went to court over it. They went to the Supreme Court to battle to fight for the right to take that down. So yes, I think they will continue to do that. If they think it's going to win them votes, and here's the reality, <clears throat> uh, I think overwhelmingly. 
even Democrats are concerned about the border, at least according to national polling. But I saw one just uh, Monday, it was, I think, 55% of Democrat voters have said they prefer candidates. And I think they mean for president and for the you know Senate and, um, and, and House seats that are going to be available. Mm-hmm. They prefer candidates that do want open borders, 55%. So, you know, if that's a, that's a landslide, if that were an election, 55 to 45, 55% of Democrat voters surveyed said they want somebody who will, will uh, keep the borders open or who will open the borders. So I think, uh, uh, why do you literally go out there and cut the razor wire? Why do you take the forklifts out there? Why do you go to court for the right to do those things? Because I think they literally know they have no shot if they don't have their base energized, and that's what their base is telling them. Well, maybe so, uh, but that still means 45% of Democrats have common sense and say, like, well, no, 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 we got to have a border. That's part of what defines you as a country. And then I would say 100% of Republicans think that, no, you got to have a border. you got to know who's entering your country, particularly in light of the, the, the terrorist threat that, that, that most certainly exists around the world. So uh, remember, we got we got people coming in from 180-some different countries. So they're, they're, they're not all just wonderful folks who, who are seeking the, the American dream. You know, God bless those folks. But, you know, those folks who are seeking the American dream, they, they want to come here legally. That, that's a big difference. So uh, the, 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 I think there's still a, the vast majority of the country sees this for what it, what it truly is. And um, they're the ones who are – I mean, there's a reason the Democrats are suddenly talking about this. They also know not playing well in a general election – where where they have to get some some independent voters. So, um, I mean, I, again, I think uh, you know what, what was it the number one issue both in Iowa and New Hampshire certainly oh, yeah. Republicans. Um, and I, my guess is that uh, across the board, people get it because when you're a mom uh, in in Brooklyn and, uh, and and a dad in Brooklyn and they're telling you your kid's going to have to learn remote because we need to close down the school for learning for your kids. So you paid the taxes for that building and we're gonna we're gonna house migrants there. That probably doesn't fit too well with uh, with with parents, whether they're Democrat or Republican. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the foreign terrorist part of this too. I, I neglected that in the beginning of our conversation. That letter, uh, if you could speak to that, a letter that was sent by former federal law enforcement and national security officials that spell out the danger and the threat of an October seventh style attack. What we saw in in Israel happening inside the United States. The only difference being that they won't have to paraglide in. They've already walked in underneath Joe Biden's forklift razor wire. They are here now, and these individuals are going to carry out that kind of an attack. That's what the worry is among these former FBI executives. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's, it's, uh, let's, let's pray to the good Lord that it doesn't happen. Um, but we, we have one of, our, one of our good members on the District Committee. He's the chairman of the subcommittee on immigration. And he has said now for months, he says, my biggest fear is that, that, that the, the country's waking up, he said, but that we're going to have some event like that where the country really then understands what. It, it, so let's hope it doesn't happen. I'm praying it doesn't happen. But, you know, when Mayorkas sat in front of the Judiciary Committee and told us that he didn't know the number on the terrorist watch list they encountered, this was a year and a half ago at the hearing, um, you know, that just, that, that just tells you how serious this, this threat is and how derelict it seems in duty that Mr. Mayorkas has been. Do we have that number now? I think I saw something that just just for 2023. Now that the you know the, that year is closed, um, there was some like 173. And for comparison's sake, there were 11 during the entire four years of the Trump administration that were apprehended at the border. It was like two in one yeah, year, and one in another year, so forth. But it was like 173 last year. I don't know what the total is for the Biden term, though. Do you? Well, I think the total is like 370 something for the the Biden term. Mm-hmm. Biden 
Uh, I, there's so many numbers right now, but but the fundamental point is, is, that you make, Bob, is exactly right. Compared to the Trump years, it's the Trump years was a super small number compared to what we've had with with the Biden years. The other the other number that that I think is important for your listener to understand is we asked Mayorkas this is this this past summer. We said when you come to the committee, be prepared to answer the, this this question. It's been almost three years now that you've you've, you've been in, in the office. Uh, we want to know how many migrants of the millions who've come in. How many have been, been went through the, the adjudication process and, and, and been removed? Because remember, most of the people who actually apply for asylum aren't eligible for it. So we said, how many have went through the process and there's been a, there's been a decision, judicial decision, and how many have been removed of all the millions who've come in now that you've been in office for years? And he wouldn't answer the question. We kept asking. Finally, we finally got an answer. 6,000. Out of the millions, they've all, all <laughs> only removed 6,000 who've actually went through the process and, and had a judge say, no, you, you're, you're not eligible to be here. That's how bad it is. So, um, again, it underscores why there's the impeachment proceedings and, and, and why we have to deal with the appropriations in the way I described and, of course, mm-hmm. underscores why uh, this election this, this fall is so important. All right. I, I referenced uh, a 10-7 style attack, so let's uh, talk about Israel for a moment. Not really Israel, but but the point is uh, Israel is fighting a proxy war against Iran in the form of Hamas and Hezbollah. We all know how that works. Uh, Iran now has struck and killed American soldiers. It's one thing, and you brought them up, the three Georgia soldiers. Dozens were injured, and this is one of a number of attacks on American bases throughout the Middle East. They continue to push and push and test and test, and now they've taken lives. Um, what should the proper response be? Nobody wants to escalate into a full-on American boots-on-the-ground war in Tehran, but we cannot allow this to continue either. What is your what is your feeling on that, sir? Well, you, you almost need to back up and say what what precipitated the the aggression, and it's, and it's the embracement of the Iran deal that that President Trump got us out of. It's the it's the the, the taking off the sanctions on Iran. All, all those all those things led to this because all those things displayed weakness. Uh, and 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 led to this situation. So you got to you got to put those back in place certainly. And then what the appropriate uh, and 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 response is, I leave that up to the the experts. What I know, what you know, from things I've heard about President Trump, President Trump said lay the options on the table, and he would pick the the, the, the one that was going to send them. So remember what he did to Soleimani. He just like boom took took the got rid of Soleimani, and that sent the message like oh. This guy got out of the Iran deal. This guy's got the sanctions. This guy took out Soleimani, new sheriff in town. When that, that's how President Trump handled it, and so that's the kind of action I, that I think you need. But it's sort of tough now that we've he's he's you know he let so many things happen along the way that led to this in the first place. But that's how I would approach it. Yeah, and I think it, that's how President Trump would approach it and did approach it. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think there needs to be a very, very strong response, a show of force here again, because it's the one thing we all know, bullies don't uh, uh, don't stop punching you when you cower, bullies stop punching you when you get punched back in the face, so whether it's killing a Soleimani or it's yep. doing something like that, it, there has to be a response. And I get, I'm very, the reason I asked you, sir, is because some of our fellow Republican colleagues have, have expressed uh, complete, uh, a complete, a uh, complete, uh, 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 unwillingness, if you will, to to respond because they don't want to quote unquote do it the Nikki Haley way, to do it the you know former Bush neocon way, uh, where we're going to go in there and start a war in the Middle East. They think that any response is going to be an escalation of tensions that could lead to a war, and uh, and so they're willing to allow I don't know Americans to be killed with no repercussions whatsoever. No, we certainly don't want that. Um, the, 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 I think the fundamental problem is, uh, unfortunately, I think President Biden does it backwards. You know, President Trump, the old, the old, I think of a Teddy Roosevelt, you know, you, 
you talk softly but carry a big club, carry a big stick. And Joe Biden is like he talks loudly and carries this and doesn't 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 back it up. So when when you're talk the big bluster and, and the big talk and then but well, meanwhile take off the sanctions and embrace all this, it, that leads to this situation. President Trump was willing to engage and and talk with you know Putin and G and 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 Kim Jong Un and all he was willing to do all that. But they knew he was serious. They knew he said, "If you mess with us, you're, 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 there are going to be real consequences." And he demonstrated it with Soleimani. He demonstrated when he dealt with Mexico. And he, he said, we, yeah. "We want this. You're going to. We want these migrants to remain in Mexico while we evaluate their claims." And, and President Mexico said, "No, no, we're not going to do that." He goes, "No, no, we need you to do that." He goes, "No, no, we're not going to do that." And President Trump said, "Well, then you're going to have you're going to have tariffs placed on you." And suddenly, the president of Mexico says, "Well, Shazam, I think we'll do it." So that's how he dealt with things, and, and we got a good policy. So. That is the fundamental difference. Joe Biden wants to talk real big, but but the actions are 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 not the same. So that's the fundamental problem. I I couldn't help but chuckle at the Gomer Pyle esque Shazam. Uh, we'll do it. Uh, well done, Congressman. Great points all the way around. I appreciate the uh, uh, appreciate you the bet. terrific insight. Keep up the great work. Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, be able to talk next week about a scheduled date for the vote on the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas next week, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, riding the ship. Thank you, sir. Great. Thanks. All right. It's Jim Jordan on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, yeah, he just went Shazam. I like it. I haven't heard Shazam dropped it as a as 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 a uh, uh, an expression in quite some time. Uh, okay, we're going to take a time out. Top of the hour news is a coming. On the other side of that, we are going to talk about what can be done to hold Joe Biden accountable. There's an author that we're going to talk to named Mike McCormick who wrote a book. He's a former Biden stenographer, which means he used to literally tap out every word Joe Biden spoke. He uh, has written a book. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, hour number two is underway. Thank you to Congressman Jordan for the uh, rundown of all of the most important issues facing us right now, including the uh, impeachment hearing held yesterday of of uh, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas covering the response to Iran and more. If you missed any of that, that's uh, that's a problem. You should probably uh, time your day a little bit better so you don't miss Jim Jordan. But if you did, I'll excuse it, and I'll give you a little homework assignment. Go after the show to whkradio.com. Uh, about an hour after the show, around 1 o'clock or so, you'll be able to listen to it from the podcast page. We'll make sure we isolate that so you don't have to hunt for it as well. Jim Jordan was fantastic this morning, and uh, you'll be able to hear that at the podcast page. I want to turn our attention now on this uh, Wednesday, the 31st and final morning of the year of our Lord, of the month of January, I should say, in the year of our Lord, 2024, to a guy who had uh, kind of a unique perspective in learning a little bit more about who Joe Biden is and what Joe Biden was into. Why? Because he followed him around and transcribed virtually everything he said for six years. He was a White House stenographer covering Joe Biden. Uh, and uh, uh, like I said, obviously uh, taking notes on virtually everything that Joe Biden said. He has taken his experiences and put them into a book. And how does he size up the man that he was uh, uh, transcribing everything for for all of those years? Well, the title is a good way to judge that. The Case to Impeach and Imprison Joe Biden. 
That's good enough. We're not supposed to judge books by their cover, but I'm judging it by the title that this has got to be awesome. The Case to Impeach and Imprison Joe Biden by Mike McCormick, who joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. McCormick, good to have you on the program. How are you, sir? Bob, I'm good. It's good to be back with you. My friend's in Cleveland. I grew up there. You know, I think we talked about that before, uh, so it is good to have you back then here in Northeast Ohio. So, Mike, Seth just kind of dropped the line on me that I'm going to steal. Um, how hard can it be to be a stenographer for Joe Biden? Don't you just have to kind of mash the keyboard with your palm and whatever comes up comes up? Uh, that That's pretty accurate. Well, you kind of have to remake, you kind of have to make up new grammar rules almost daily, <laughs> every moment, moment by moment, literally. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's not easy. It was a tough job, and he was very outspoken back then, not like he is now. So yeah. there's been a big shift in his ability to speak and how he's willing to speak. He used to sh- just shout off the cuff, go for hours. He doesn't do it anymore. Yeah, he was so verbal. It's weird. Instead of shouting now, he he drops down into that strange and kind of creepy whisper that he does It's in, in seemingly like, completely inappropriate times like there was no reason for suddenly dropping it down to a whisper but you're right he was very verbose he was very loud he was very outspoken and now he's just mumbles pauses for 15 seconds before he finally says well anyway because he loses his train of thought it's got to be a harder job now maybe than it was then well he doesn't do as much now you know he does probably a a tenth of the amount of speaking engagements that he did then so it's probably they're just sitting around looking at the walls i would yeah, well, that's a good point. That's a very good point. All right, uh, the, the the real t- difficulty would have to be trying to spell some of the things that he says that are just completely incomprehensible. But you had a different experience. Let's talk about how we uh, we we found ourselves here at this point uh, with the book, "The Case to Impeach and Imprison Joe Biden." I'm looking at some of the some of the information. Six years there, you followed him and traveled with him to Ukraine and Honduras and other countries where there are all kinds of open questions about his conduct and about his family's conduct there. Give us some background. That's correct. And, you know, the last time you and I talked, you asked me if I had been interviewed by anybody in Congress about this. And I said, mm-hmm. I'm not going to report on that at this time. In the book, I reveal, yes, I have been interviewed by the House Oversight Committee investigators and by the Senate Homeland Security Governmental Affairs uh, uh, investigators, and that was back in April and May of last spring. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) pardon me. Um, So, yes, interviewed. I gave them a lot of information. I've also pursued, tried to get the evidence I've built into this book in front of uh, David Weiss, the U.S. attorney in Delaware. He's ignored me. I've turned it over to the FBI. They've ignored me. And so I'm sitting, that's why I wrote the book. It's got to be put out in the court of public opinion, the evidence I have, and we'll see where it goes. People are finding it very important to read. I'm getting a lot of good um, reviews, and, you know, this is a must-read is basically the number one thing they say. So the evidence is substantial. Joe Biden is a criminal, and there's a case to impeach and imprison him. We have seen authors write biographical um uh, pieces on on people like Hillary Clinton in the past and Barack Obama, and some of that information was used. And obviously, none of them were ever imprisoned or anything of that nature. But but doing the investigative work, particularly somebody with an inside view of things the way you had, it has 
it has resulted in some seriously harsher looks at individuals than we would have gotten otherwise. Um, but they do have to be in front of the right eyes. Now, like you said, you try to put it in front of David Weiss. Um, who have you gotten these reviews from who have said that the evidence that you've uncovered here and that you present here is something that is actionable? Can you talk about that? Well, I'll tell you. Um, so I had a very significant piece of evidence I developed and put out in the book. Um, it involved a video, a White House video taken by the um, White House videographers on a trip Joe Biden took to Kiev, Ukraine in 2015. And I passed it on to reporters at the New York Post, uh, uh, Miranda Devine and um, uh, Stephen Nelson. They, they looked into it. They're, I said, look, there's a video of this guy. Joe Biden is meeting this guy at the bottom of the steps of Air Force Two. The guy's name from Ukraine is Vitaly Klitschko. At the time, he was secretly a Burisma board member. This is Joe Biden doing Burisma board member business on an Air Force Two flight. That's a that's against law. That's a crime. So Stephen and Miranda looked into it, and they published an article about it on January 7th. And it was substantial. Stephen said, you know, there's it's hard to track down. He called this guy Vitaly Klitschko. Um he denied that he was on the Burisma board, but there's evidence in the Hunter Biden laptop. There's emails that says, yeah, we just hired Kelly Klitschko on the board. And uh, Stephen asked the guy, um, he had a source who uh, said, yes, he was a, a business associate of Hunter Biden, said, yes, but Kelly Klitschko was um, central to the board uh, membership. So this was, that's the evidence that I think really cements what I've said. This is Joe Biden doing a crime, and the media has looked into it, and they've validated it. Well, that is extraordinarily important to get that validation and corroboration uh, that the stuff that you're presenting and the stuff that you're alleging uh, is 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 accurate um, to get that kind of backup. I, I'm curious, though, how when you when you collect information like this, there's no confidentiality agreement you have to sign if you're a stenographer, if you're somebody who's working for the government. I mean, were you employed by the government when you're a stenographer? How does that work? I started in 2002 as a contractor, and in 2014, we were federalized. Obama wanted to turn our office into federal employees. We never signed an NDA. Um, we were employees of the um, executive office of the president, and... Um, so I didn't have a top-secret clearance, so whatever I saw and heard was basically saw and heard in front of press. Okay, I mean, that that's what I was going to ask you, because you're not technically a member of the press, right? At least the White House press. You're not covering you know, the vice president in that regard. I, I, the way I understood it, if you were a staff stenographer, that you were like kind of part of the team, and therefore that's the stuff you see and heard, uh, seen here probably couldn't be, couldn't be used. Right, and there's a lot of stuff in there that, I, I haven't. I used to. I wrote a Substack for several last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Midnight and Laptop of Good and Evil. A lot of the evidence I developed came through the Substack, but there's stuff I put in the book that isn't in the Substack. There's an anecdote I put in there about Joe Biden, where I I believe he might have tipped off the fact that they had uh, um, they had a investigation into the bombing of the the potential bombing at the Boston Marathon um, before it happened. And, you know, the anecdote I have in the book was he was on a phone call with Boston police senior officials as 
he's watching TV, the bombing happens, and he has to get off the phone. That specific transcription that I did was done off of a recorder that was done while someone was standing next to him while I was on this phone call. They handed me the recorder. I did the transcript. I sent it to him. The only evidence of that activity happening is the email that I sent to their office. That's archived by the National Archives through the Presidential Records Act. So that's evidence, and I put that in the book. But it's not evidence I can present right now because it would take a FOIA to get that out. And the way they're dragging the feet on FOIA requests for Biden records, there's no way it's going to come out before the election. So I put it in the book, and people can decide. Are you still writing the Substack then, Mike? Because you said you, you had been. Substack is still going on. Um, I'm busy with the book promotion, but yes, I'm putting in stuff about the Substack all the time. Okay, because the, the last time we talked, it was about the midnight in the laptop of Good and Evil, good and, evil and, and I wasn't sure. Um, so you say that a lot of the stuff that you uncover, particularly about Vitaly Klitschko and, and Biden being on the phone with him uh, on, on Air Force One and doing business with Burisma and all these other things, you're saying media corroborated it, uh, you know, Miranda Devine and others, but what about the FBI? What did the FBI say? They don't want to talk about it. You know, I'm doing a better job of investigating what Joe Biden did than the FBI. That's it's shameful to say, but it's true. And they should be ashamed. Well, that's because you have a motive and they don't. You have a motive, and the motive is to get to yeah. the truth. And the last thing they want to do is get to truth about what Joe Biden has done. Exactly. That's correct. Strange Mike, times in our country right now. Mike McCormick is our guest. His latest book is is entitled The Case to Impeach and Imprison Joe Biden. And, again, it, it's just kind of funny just to hear it laid out so blatantly like that. But it's not just for fun. It's it's filled. This book is filled with all kinds of important information as to uh, the illegal activities. Tell me about the Alliance for Prosperity, Mike. That's a great question because that figures right into what's calamity, the catastrophe that's happening on our southern border right now. The Alliance for Prosperity basically was Joe Biden sending millions of dollars, American taxpayer dollars, to the president of Honduras, a guy named Juan Orlando Hernandez, from 2014 to 2016. So $500 million over those three years. And he sent $500 million to the president of Guatemala and El Salvador to prevent what's happening right now on the southern border. They wanted to uh, address the root causes of illegal migration out of those countries. Well, it turns out that President Orlando Hernandez was tied closely to the cartels. His brother was a massive drug smuggler. He's in prison now for smuggling over 150 tons of cocaine into the United States from like 2002 to 2018 when he was arrested. But Joe Biden knew that when he gave this money to Orlando Hernandez. The DEA was investigating these guys. They had um, video surveillance. Uh, they had electronic surveillance of a meeting in February 2014 with this brother. And the brother is meeting with these other guys. He said, we're going to have uh, the government supporting our drug smuggling. And that's what Joe Biden, they would have known that. The, the Drug Enforcement Administration would have put that right up the chain of command. And Joe Biden, as he's setting up this, Alliance for Prosperity would have been warned about that. Hey, don't do that with these guys. He ignored the warnings and set it up anyway. I think he sent that, all that money down there to get the cartels on his side for what's happening right now. 
It's exactly what it sounds like, um, and that is an astounding thing. And again, I would one same question that we asked before about the the Burisma in Ukraine stuff. I mean, no interest whatsoever in anybody that you presented this to that is actually in law enforcement. You know, I uh, I haven't haven't heard from law enforcement. I I developed this evidence after I spoke with the Oversight Committee and the Senate Committee uh, okay. investigators. But I forward it to them. I would send them, you know, my uh, Substack. I'd email it to them and say, "Hey, this might interest you." Never heard back. How? Uh, that's astounding in and of its own right. In its own right, um, Mike McCormick, author of the case to impeach and imprison Joe Biden. How many other individuals um, would you say that were of importance? Government officials knew what he was doing during this period of time, whether it be with the you know, Honduras cartel connection or whether it be with Burisma or any of the other things that you've uncovered in this book, how many other government officials knew and looked the other way that you are aware of? Because um, I know you do specifically mention Barack Obama. He knew what his vice president was doing. What, what, what other individuals are you alleging in the book knew about the corrupt schemes of Joe Biden? Dozens. Um, Dozens. The uh, U.S. Embassy in Ukraine uh, was highly corrupted by the Biden kickback scheme there. And sadly, um, a four-star Marine general, uh, General John F. Kelly, was the, he was head of Southern Command in, um, that was in charge of this, uh, during this Alliance for Prosperity time. He was the head of Southern Command. So he had a very close association with this guy in Honduras. So he was working hand in, hand in glove with Joe Biden on this, Alliance for Prosperity, and helping these uh, Honduran criminals smuggle cocaine into America as we paid them with our de- with our support. So there's a lot more. Um, you know, Jake Sullivan was part of it. Um, uh, well, so many that I name in the book. That's a that's a that's a big name right there, Jake Sullivan. And and again, uh, you when you say dozens, and I, I guess this is where. You know, conspiracy theories are born uh, because people sometimes people say, well, nothing that vast can be going on because somebody would talk. Somebody would talk if a ton of people knew about this. And I don't care what conspiracy you're talking about. But you're saying dozens of people knew about the illegal, corrupt activities of Joe Biden and did nothing. Uh, All it takes is, you know, like I said, somebody to come and tell the truth. And you and some other media members are trying to tell the truth that uh, some of those individuals that you're identifying, or you're not identifying by name here, but uh, the people you're talking about, the dozens, kept quiet about. This is, you know, this is, of course, how conspiracy conspiracy theories are born, but it's how also people dismiss them. So how do you react to the critics who say you're just a partisan conservative, maybe MAGA, and you uh, have an axe to grind here, and you are you are making all this stuff up because that's what they're going to do. They're going to dismiss it. Well, they can't make it up because it's in the transcript. <clears throat> it's White House evidence that they provided. There's a White House video of Joe Biden shaking a guy's hand who is a Burisma board member. That took place three days after a Burisma board member meeting where Joe Biden was on the phone to his son who was at the Burisma board member meeting. And... That's uh, testified to by Devin Archer in the um, House Oversight Investigation. So a lot of my evidence comes from White House transcripts. It's not conspiracy theory. It's not somebody told me this. I saw this, and I produced the evidence. It's also from the Hunter Biden laptop. That's been validated by media, by the FBI. There's 
There's and finally, a, like two yeah. weeks ago, yeah, wasn't it just two weeks ago, I think, they finally admitted, uh, uh, and I don't remember, remember who exactly, but specifically said, I think it was the FBI, yes, this is authentic, and this is, uh, you know, this, is, this was never misinformation or a Russian plant. That's correct. So that's what's got Vitaly Klitschko in there. He was on the board. Okay. So, you know, who's lying? And it looks like the evidence points to the liars are in the White House right now, and they're covering for Joe Biden. And Barack Obama. I would imagine you are going to be watching very, very closely. Who knows? Maybe you can get an invitation to sit and, and watch it as a witness. When, uh, well, I guess it's not going to be public, so I take that back. But um, what do you expect from the uh, Hunter Biden deposition, which is now scheduled for I think February twenty eighth? He's going to have a real hard time remembering what he did when he was so addled with drugs and alcohol. I think he's just going to he's just going to plead. You know, I don't recall, and you know, so that's disappointing. So you're basically you're you're basically predicting it'll be a it'll be a nothing burger. Yeah, and you know, um, Eric Schwerin uh, testified yesterday. There was some been a little bit of reporting on that. Mm-hmm. He just covered for Joe. I mean, Eric Schwerin's all through the book, and other you know, there's other publications that ever detail what he knew and what he was doing, and he just basically said, "Oh no." It didn't happen. One of the reasons I wrote the book is because my experience in the oversight committee uh, over, with the inv- investigators of the oversight committee, I just felt like they weren't really that focused or that intense about getting to the truth. They kind of wanted to get some answers, but they didn't want to get all the answers. And it's just sort of a half investigation. So I've got this book out, and people can read it and see, hey, why aren't they asking this of Devin Archer? Why aren't they asking this of Eric Schwerin? You know, what are they going to ask Hunter Biden? It's a strange investigation, and the real the real uh, investigation that I want to be in front of it is special counsel David Weiss out in Los Angeles in front of his grand jury because they they would actually have some heft in the investigation of, of uh, the crimes that are committed alongside Hunter Biden. Well, Mike McCormick, you did it. You, you hooked me. Uh, I got to get this now, and I got to read it. I mean, I'm just fascinated by the little tidbits that you've given me. I want to see some of these names. I want to see some of the more specific things uh, regarding Joe Biden's corruption that you've been able to cover that uh, the, the FBI doesn't want to know. It's called the case to impeach and imprison Joe Biden. I've seen it on the Barnes and Noble site. I'm looking at it right now on the Amazon site. Make sure you get this book, uh, and uh, and then maybe we'll get a whole bunch of people demanding the government do something. I'm going to write my congressman. Well, I don't have to write him. I have my the air every week, uh, Jim Jordan, but I'm going to talk to members of Congress and see exactly what they're going to do with this information. Mike, thank you for that writing it. Really thank appreciate you. it. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to believe me. I mean, we, you know, look, this is the least we can do. You're a citizen. You worked in the White House press office as a stenographer for years. You have information a lot of other people don't have. And the question is, is what are you going to do with it? You are taking it public. The only thing we can do if we are actually concerned citizens is to take that information and get it into the hands of the right people as much as we can. Public pressure is literally the only thing that we have uh, to try to bring corruption like this to a halt. Uh, so I'll put as much public pressure on it as I can, and I, I know a lot of my listeners are going to be buying this book and doing the exact same thing. So, Mike, thanks for doing the legwork. Thanks for writing it. And thanks for sharing the information with us. We'll talk again soon. I'm just uh, <clears throat> having a little chuckle here. <laughs> that clip I played before uh, when Jim Jordan was coming on of uh, Representative um, <clears throat> Garcia, I guess, yeah, Representative Garcia. Um, it's just, it's, it's epic. It's classic. Representative Garcia 
Robert Garcia, Democrat, um, freaking out over Donald Trump's border plans. Uh, talking about some of the things that Trump has, Trump has mentioned, obviously, almost all of them tongue-in-cheek, about doing something to make sure that the border problem is solved. But, but the breathless um, fear that he expresses when he, when, he, when he says this has got people just cracking up online. I'm going to share someone with you in a moment here. But this is uh, Representative Robert Garcia, Democrat from California, at the Alejandro Mayorkas impeachment hearings, in which Republicans were pointing out how lax Democrats have been, specifically how Mayorkas has been lax and uh, you know unconcerned about the actual border. So by contrast, Garcia says, well, it's better than what Trump wants to do. Here's what Trump wants to do. I, I, I will not yield. I want to remind the public that Donald Trump and House Republicans also have their own ideas for the border. So let's review the majority's border ideas that they've actually presented. Here they are. Donald Trump actually has said that he wants to build alligator moats along the border. That's one of his incredible ideas. Another idea that Donald Trump has promoted is he actually wants to electrify the border fence and maybe even put some spikes on the border. That's another Donald Trump and MAGA majority border idea. Another idea, which I'm not sure how, how well it would go, is he wants to actually bomb northern Mexico with missiles. That's another Trump idea. And finally, I think one of the ones that I think um, is the most grotesque is suggestions that instead we should maybe just shoot migrants in the legs as they cross the border. So once again, the Donald Trump and MAGA plan is alligator moats, bombing northern Mexico, shooting migrants in the legs, and electrifying the fence and putting spikes on them. That is the Donald Trump border plan. Well, here's my response to that. Can you dig it? <laughs> Some of the responses have been just epic. Brandon Straka or Strock, I am so here for the alligator moats. Robbie Starbuck, replace the shooting part with lasers. Sharks and drones that drop green goo like they used to do on Nickelodeon, and I'm on 100% in. Not good enough. People need to be more fearful. Um, bomb Mexico with missiles. Pretty sure you mean bomb cartels with bombs, but uh, that's okay. When did South Park start writing scripts for Congress? He forgot the sharks with the laser beams. They stole this from John Daly. <laughs> which is John Daly's interview with Tucker Carlson. I'll take care of the border. Don't need no border patrol. Now, I don't know if John Daly's going to curse in this, by the way, so be ready, Seth. I know South Africa get the meanest crocodiles, about 100,000 of them, all the most poisonous snakes, the rhinos. Put them in that river. See who crosses that border. I agree with that. <laughs> John Daly. John Daly with Tucker Carlson. Let's fill the... <laughs> the river, the Rio Grande, with crocodiles. What else did he say? Poisonous snakes. What I'll else? take care of the border. Don't need no border patrol. No. I know South Africa get the meanest crocodiles, about 100,000 of them. All the most poisonous snakes, the rhinos. The rhinos and rhinos. This is the best. I, I, I'm telling you, this is a 16-second video, and it might be my favorite video of all time. John Daly is full Santa Claus in the video. 
And I'm talking, I mean, a beard down to the middle of his chest. Big white beard, big long white beard. He's obviously got white hair. He's sitting there. He's got a beer in one hand that he's holding with the heater as well. So he's got a cigarette and a beer in one hand as he's gesturing with his left hand. Just to his left, there's Kid Rock sitting there strumming on a guitar. And to his left, there's Tucker Carlson just soaking all of that in. As Kid Rock strums the guitar... John Daly lays out the Border Patrol plan, and Tucker Carlson nods along and it says, I'm in. I'll take care of the border. Don't need no Border Patrol. No. I'm going to South Africa, the meanest crocodiles, about 100,000 of them, all the most poisonous snakes, the rhinos. Put them in that river. See who crosses that border. I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that, Tucker. Deadpanned and straight-faced. That is one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, some of the other responses, though, I want to share some of these with you because these are. Some, I, I, I already heard you. I already heard you. Hold on a second. Where'd that? Uh, yeah. Um, my God, is that the Rio Grande with a 600 foot long alligator in it? Said mad liberals. That will definitely fix the problem. D Day Cobra. I was 50 50 on this Trump guy, but after hearing about his plan with the alligator moats on the border, I am 100% hashtag MAGA now. Wall Street Silver, I already support Trump. You don't have to convince me anymore. <laughs> this is absolutely gold. Um, they they don't understand. I mean, they 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 they've become parodies of themselves. This guy went up there as if this is in the hearing to 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 boot Mayorkas. He went up there and presented these as if they were like legitimate policy prescriptions, as if Trump had written out on a, on a proposal to give to Congress to fund a bunch of alligators and crocodiles for the Rio Grande and spikes and spike strips in the water and, and, and all these other things, that he, and bombing, just bomb northern Mexico as if he had written those things down as a prescription on how to deal with the border, rather than Donald Trump doing what Donald Trump does, which is going off the cuff in the middle of a two-hour rally that he just continues talking through and he makes stuff up as he goes along, which most of us get and think is freaking hilarious. But he took it seriously. And he's, this is this is the difference between us and, 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 and Trump and the MAGA extremists. Look at what they want to do. Look at all of these horrific things that they want to do. Well, this is so inhumane. They want to just shoot people in the legs and put alligators in the water for crying So out once loud. again, the Donald Trump and MAGA plan is alligator moats, bombing northern Mexico, shooting migrants in the legs, and electrifying the fence and putting spikes on them. Electrified that fence. is the Donald Trump border plan. I forgot about that part, the electrified fence. Daniel Turner uh, this is really no different than we have 10 years left to fix climate change before it's too late. It's all fear and hyperbole and stupidity. There is no common ground with these lunatics. None whatsoever. I think he's right. That one's less funny than it is accurate. Um, but, uh, yeah, the responses here have just been tremendous. Getting the humor aside, there is a reality that needs to be presented, and I said it before and I want to repeat it now. And by the way, we're open for calls until uh, 11 o'clock. If you want to get in, we got uh, guests coming up at 1110. We're going to talk to uh, Gregory Wrightstone again. But um, 216-901-0945. But I'm, I played for you a little bit earlier this morning in the open, in the monologue, Joe Biden, uh, outside of uh, Air Force One yesterday, 
and I hate playing these again. You're going to have your ears blown out. Turn your speakers down real quick while I play this for you. I'll say now so you can turn your speakers down because we get the jet engine revving up and warming up outside uh, as uh, Biden gets set to board. And that's where they conduct these interviews, and it's just really kind of stupid. But uh, So it's going to be really loud, but I want you to hear what he said about really truthfully dealing with the border and what he said he needs. He's asked by a reporter if he's done everything he can. With executive authority. With- I forgot to say now, didn't I? Give me the power. I've asked for the very day I got in office. Give me the border control. Give me the people. Give me the people to judge. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work. What he said was, in case you couldn't hear it very clearly, I've done all I can do. Just give me the power. Give me the border patrol. Give me the people, the judges. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work right. Okay, that's what he said. He needs. He needs the power and judges and the people in the Border Patrol to stop this and make it work right. I said this earlier, and I apologize for the redundancy if you've been listening from the start. But him saying we need to stop this is a de facto admission that it is indeed going on. He has for three years sent his team out there to say the border is secure. The border is closed. It's a big lie. The Republicans are lying. This is political. The border is secure. The border is closed. The border is secure. The border is closed. Now, in an election year, with his polling at 31%, and all Amer- not all, uh, Americans having decided, by way of polls, that their number one issue in this election cycle is immigration, illegal immigration, and not inflation anymore, but illegal immigration, suddenly he's like, well, give me the power to stop this. So now you're admitting it was going on, and it is going on. But you're claiming you don't have the power to stop it. By claiming that, you are essentially asking us to pretend that what you did on day one of your presidency didn't happen. On day one, you didn't need a special bill, you didn't need Congress, you didn't need anything else to to be done for you to, quote-unquote, act. You used the executive authority granted you as president to roll back every single one of Trump's border security measures. You didn't need a special bill. You had the power then, but you want us to believe now that you don't have the power now. You're saying you've done all that the law allows you to do. But we know better, because we can read, and we know what the U.S. Code says. We know what the law literally says in Title Eight, Section 212F of the U.S. Code, which is Immigration and Nationality Act. And again, if you've been with us the whole time, I apologize for the redundancy, but for new listeners who just turned us on, you need to share this with everybody, every Biden voter you know, every demon rat, every leftist who thinks that it's the Republicans keeping the border open and that Biden can't do anything about it. It's Republicans keeping it open so they can campaign on it, so they can boot him in 2024, in the fall of this year, in in November of this year. You need to respond to them. These words, Title VIII, Section 212F, say that to them and tell them to look it up. Title VIII, Section 212F of the U.S. Code. It says Joe Biden doesn't need anything else. He has everything he needs. Quote, whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may by proclamation 
and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions that he may deem to be appropriate. Okay? That's 8 U.S. Code 112, or excuse me, 212F. More specifically, it's 1182. It's within the within the section. It's the section within a section and so forth. But it's not ambiguous. It is clear. This isn't legislative. This is executive. He can do this by proclamation. For as little or as long of a time as he himself deems necessary, he doesn't need to get it through the Senate, he doesn't need to get it through the House, he doesn't need to consult the Supreme Court or the Constitution. It's right there in the U.S. Code. And until it's lifted from the U.S. Code, it remains a presidential power. If he wanted to shut this down, he could. So the gaslighting, again, is just so extreme. And it needs to be pointed out. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Ralph is in Canton. Ralph, thanks for waiting. You're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Fire away. I cannot hear Ralph. Let's see if Charlie can be heard. Charlie, are you there? Can you hear me? Charlie, hey, Bob, Charlie, Charlie. I'm here. There you are. Go ahead, Charlie. I'm here out in Brownhill. Hey, you know we're getting attacked left and right. Everything, the whole world, all our enemies think that we're a paper tiger. And I said, when Trump comes back, the first thing he should just we kind do of are. So bad. Well, we, we're a paper tiger. We're not doing. We're just. We're, the whole world knows it. Yeah. And it all comes from the Afghanistan skedaddle. It all comes right out of that. So the only thing I'm not saying go back into Afghanistan, but we should go take our Air Force Bagram base back and just it's our base. Get out. It's our base and just stay there. I think it would tell the whole world we're back. We're not. We're not going to take it anymore. Well, that's not going to happen. Wanna... <clears throat> yeah, that's not going to happen because the last thing we want is more uh, American soldiers to die in a battle there for that which Joe Biden already sacrificed and uh, you know gave up thirteen lives and and uh, what was it eighty five billion dollars in weaponry and munitions and 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 transport vehicles and so forth. Um, so you know they're not going to do that. Uh, he's not going to do that. What we do need to do, though, if if you if you don't want to be, if you don't, it's, it's it's very close to China where they make their nuclear weapon. It really was a big big mistake to to leave that air force base. We could have left Afghanistan and just kept the base, but I, maybe that's not practical. But I really would I think it would tell the world oh. we're not going to put up with this. Well, but, but again, I mean, you're 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 tilting at windmills. I mean, Joe, Joe Biden is so incredibly weak and feckless. The idea that he would actually do something to tell the world we're strong is is well, you know, it's, it's, it's laughable. Trump, when Trump comes, when Trump comes back, oh, you mean Biden oh, okay, oh, yeah, I, one year yeah. from. Well, I mean, yeah. okay, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a we can sit here and create a list of things that we want to have happen when Trump comes back, if indeed we are successful in getting Trump back. We can sit here and create a big, long list. But do you know how much damage is going to be done to this country and, and to our standing in the world just in the, in the next 10 months? We're 10 months from getting, you know, a, a Trump elected again, or God willing uh, to get him elected again. We're 10 months away from that, and, and we're, we're potentially <clears throat> going to be asking Joe Biden, to lead us into, uh, you know, some sort of a, a military conflict. I don't want to say a war or a battle, but obviously we need to respond militarily to what Iran just did in killing U.S. soldiers and continuing to target and attack through their funding of the Houthis and the and the Hamas and Hezbollah and everything else, American bases all in the region. We're asking this guy to do that. So our standing in the world as a paper tiger 
um, if, if it stands for the next 10 months, it might be even too late for a Trump or anybody else to do anything about it, uh, you know, uh, by the time we get him back in office. Yes, Trump says we're closer to a nuclear third world war than ever, ever Well, yeah, before. we are. You know, even even uh, even Kirby, even Kirby, uh, 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 the White House uh, spokesman Kirby said that you know things in the Middle East are worse than they have been now since 1973, and it's not in you know just coincidental that it's happening during Joe Biden's presidency. It is a direct result of the decisions made and the policies made in the Joe Biden presidency. Which is why, again, this is so much. There is so much damage that has been done just in three years now, plus of Joe Biden. And thanks for the call, Charlie. God forbid, God forbid, literally, sign of the cross right now on live radio. God, I beg you, forbid this from becoming eight years. I beg you, do not allow this to become eight years because it will not be salvageable. In 2028, the United States will not be salvageable. We will be a globalist nation. We will not have borders. We will not have rules. We will not have laws. We will not have security. We will not have safety. And it will be, it'll be essentially anarchy. Anarchy will reign. God, please, please forbid that. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Joe is in uh, Westlake. Hi, Joe. Go ahead. Hello, Bob. I'm calling. You know, to to mention after you mentioned earlier that Iran was responsible for the recent drone attack, there is no evidence for that. The Pentagon admitted that. You can read more about that on antiwar.com. And the New York Times reported that on Monday. We don't know who caused that drone attack. And by the way, the U.S. has supported Shia government power in Iraq for years. So this is a complex situation, and it it just doesn't make any sense to jump to conclusions, and it doesn't make sense to push for a war. It may sound tough to go to war, but consider this. What would help Biden more during this border crisis than to start a war? It's exactly what he wants. Why give him what he wants? I don't think it's starting a war to respond. I don't think it's starting a war at all, and I don't know how the, I don't know how that helps him either. How does that help him uh, to to start a war? It, it pushes his ratings up. That always happens in a war. It happened to Bush. It happens to every president who goes to war. It's the obvious thing to do. Um, but but he, two things, and re- thank you for the call, Joe. I appreciate it. Two things. One. If it's not a full war, and if it's not a, a because uh, American American lives are in jeopardy, uh, it will not have people will not it will not enjoy the same backing, if you will. Uh, remember, even Bush only had so much support from the American people because this is right after nine eleven, and as he pointed out in their whole you know uh, explanation for for the war in Iraq, um, those same weapons of mass destruction that we know about uh, that that Saddam Hussein has used, we don't know who he passed them off to. We we don't know who he's passing them off to. We have to go do this. We were so freaked out. Yeah, everybody supported him, but that didn't last very long. Same thing would happen here with Biden, particularly in a limited engagement like this. Uh, that's number one. And number two, I forgot number two already. Doggone, I had two good responses for you there, Joe, but I do appreciate the call, and it's a discussion that we can pick up later. We'll take a time out now here at the top of the hour. On the other side, we're going to be talking about uh, the truth and whether or not we can rely on anything that we have been told as they try to raise our taxes, drive us out of our our, uh, our um, um, internal combustion-driven vehicles, 
uh, to take away our furnaces, take away our stoves, take away everything that we have that makes us work, makes us uh, our economy work in the energy industry. Is it all? This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Alrighty then. Hour number three is underway. <clears throat> it is eight minutes after 11 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 31st and final morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2024. Division month starts tomorrow, and um, really looking forward to that wonderful uh, experience. As we continue to uh, push CRT and uh, uh, every P- CRT and BLM and everything else on a nation that uh, we thought we had we had brought together How about that no no we'll divide it again for another twenty eight days twenty nine days this year starting tomorrow but I want to pivot to uh, something else it's bad enough that we're being invaded uh, in our southern border or at our southern border by what was it three hundred and three thousand new encounters in the month of December. Over 9 million since Joe Biden took office. Hundreds of people on the foreign terrorist watch list being, being uh, 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 captured. But Lord knows how many hundreds were among the 2 million gotaways. It's bad enough we've got that going on. Our ally in the Middle East is in a, in a very serious war with Iran-backed uh, Hamas and Hezbollah uh, and the Houthis. Americans are being killed. Bases are being targeted in the Middle East. We've got war drums beating in China about going into Taiwan. we got people here still want to send billions of our dollars to Ukraine so that they can battle with Putin. Got all these things going on. And meanwhile, here comes gangrene. The climate nuts want us to spend billions and billions, if not trillions of dollars, completely destroying the entire American economy, destroying our industries, um, erasing our borders, enslaving us, putting us under globalist control, all so that we can make some futile attempt to change the Earth's climate. To preserve a livable planet, the Earth cannot warm, they tell us, more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. This is what the UN tells us. Failure to maintain that level could lead to several catastrophes, including increased droughts and weather-related disasters, heat-related illnesses and deaths, less food, more poverty. All of this, according to NASA, to avert the looming tribulations and limit global temperature increases, 194 member states and the European Union in 2016 signed the UN Paris Agreement. A legally binding international treaty with a goal to substantially reduce global greenhouse gas emissions. 
in 2021 and 22, the world's taxpayers spent an average of $1.3 trillion on such projects each year, these climate-related projects, according to Climate Policy Initiative. That's more than double the spending rate in 2019 and 2020, which came in at $653 billion each year, up significantly from the $364 billion back in 2011 and 2012. Despite all of that money pouring in, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration says that 2023 was still our hottest year on record. Their climate monitoring stations found that the Earth's average land and ocean surface temperature in 2023 was 1.35 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial average. So it's all going to crap. That's it. We're going to melt. All of these disasters are unstoppable. At least that's what they want us to believe. But in a huge Epic Times report, maybe, just maybe, everything that I just told you is bullcrap. Because they're using faulty and flawed temperature data. Joining us now with reaction, Gregory Wrightstone. He is the executive director of the CO2 Coalition. He's a geologist. He's a best-selling author of a book called Inconvenient Facts and an expert reviewer for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Gregory, good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland. How are you? Oh, really good. Boy, there's a lot to unpack that you just went through there. This should be fun. <laughs> and it's and it's so easy to do when you have the science, the facts, and the data on your side. Um How about we start with this claim of 1.5 degrees of warming since the Industrial Revolution? If we get there, it's game over. It's going to be climate crisis after climate crisis, rising seas, increasing hurricanes, tornadoes, severe weather. You name You know what they they tell you. Droughts. Uh, But do you realize it's already warmed 1.2 out of that 1.5 degrees Celsius? So what they're really warning us about is – Oh, we can't let it get three-tenths of a degree centigrade warmer or it's all over. There's a, we're, we've reached a t- tipping point. We can't go back. All right, well, that, that equates to half a degree Fahrenheit. And, and if you, in your studio right now, if that temperature in your studio went up or down, either way, half a degree Fahrenheit, you couldn't tell it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't trigger your thermostats to go on or off. Well, I'm not uh, playing games here, Gregory. I'm not. I'm not going to mess around here and raise it a half a degree because we might get a tidal wave come through our window. Oh, but if you're that worried about half a degree Fahrenheit of warming, just move north 19 miles. Your average temperature will decline by half a degree Fahrenheit. This is how silly this stuff is. It changes more than that on any given day between 11 a.m. and noon, and nothing catastrophic happens. Um, and, and, and we can also look. Uh, at, at what's actually going on. Uh, there is no climate crisis, that's for sure, but we've gone beyond that here at the CO2 Coalition and in my new book. Uh, I look at, by almost every metric we look at, Earth's ecosystems are thriving and prospering, and humanity's benefiting from that. Uh, we, we, we published, actually, if you're looking for Ohio data, mm-hmm. we looked at the 11 states of the Midwest and published a a paper looking at your area specifically to see what's going on and prove categorically that there is no climate crisis, that your temperatures in Ohio and the Midwest peaked in the 1920s and have been declining ever since. Now, you referenced that modifications of of temperature by NOAA, and, and they are doing that. But even so, 
they just amplify modern warming. It, we are in a warming trend. We just are. It's been warming for more than 300 years. But the key here is the warming trend we're in started 250 years before we started adding CO2 to the atmosphere. So that first 250 years had to be all natural. For, exa- for example, I'm calling you from Arlington, Virginia today, mm-hmm. 18 miles to my south, George and Martha Washington lived there at their at their home and every winter he would send his enslaved peoples down to the potomac river to cut through the thick ice and bring it up and put it in their ice house because martha loved iced drinks in the summertime well the last time the potomac froze over much less thick ice was 25 years ago and so i mean that that, that, that's the kind of historical data we can look at to confirm that it was much colder uh, 250 and 300 years ago. So yeah, we're warming. The other key here that nobody talks about, look back through human history. Uh, warmer periods, there were three of them, that were all warmer than today, were hugely beneficial to humanity. They used to be called climate optima. Uh, but you can't use that word today because that, that implies that it was a, a time of prosperity, which it was. And so we look back through human history to find that uh, history tells us we should welcome the warmth and fear the cold, just opposite of what we're being told. Uh, it's a it's a really, really, I call it the biggest untold story of the 21st century, that of, of a thriving ecosystems and thriving of humanity. Uh, it's it's a great feel-good story, but you know what? You know what, you know what they say about news, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead. Oh, and, of course. Uh, and this is good, good, good news that people need to learn. Uh, it's just it's it's backed up by science, facts, and data. Let's uh, we're talking to Gregory Wrightstone. He is the executive director of the CO two Coalition, and his book "Inconvenient Facts: The Science That Al Gore Doesn't Want You to Know" uh, is available now. And um, I want to go back to the premise of the article that that led me to reach out to you here. And this is the Epic Times report on the faulty temperature data. Um, you just pointed out that yeah, it's warming, uh, you know, over what it had been and so forth. But but there is of course context to everything. But specifically, I just want you to comment if you could on the 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 manufactured crisis here by putting their uh, temperature stations in what are being called urban heat islands, including next to exhaust fans and on blistering hot rooftops. I mean, if I put a if I put a thermometer on the roof uh, in the summertime, you know, a hot asphalt roof or not asphalt, uh, a tar roof or something, uh, compared to what it is, uh, you know, down down on the ground in the shade, it's going to be a lot hotter up there. So oh, they're sure. deliberately they're deliberately manipulating the temperature data, which of course flies in the face of science. Yeah, part of it, you're right. Is called the urban heat island effect, and once pristine temperature monitoring stations have been built, you know. Suburbs have encroached. They've been. We have, we see that some of these are on on air next to airplane runways with jets going over, and and just you know we've got uh, asphalt and concrete and homes that just warms the, uh, significantly the temperature monitors. Um, that's part of the problem. Uh, another part of the problem: up half of the monitoring stations used used by NASA and NOAA uh, don't know either don't exist anymore or aren't reporting data every month. And what they do for those stations that don't report data, they put in there what they think it should be, not what was measured, but what they think it should be. That's part of the problem. 
Um, and the other is they're doing, they're adjusting the temperatures either up or down. Uh, they say they're doing it because it's called time of day adjustment. So if it was, if it was measured too early in the morning, it was too cold. Mm-hmm. Or if they measured it at 2 in the afternoon, it was too hot. It wasn't measured at the right time. Uh, Anthony Watts at the Heartland Institute recently looked at it. He found that 95% and more of the stations used don't even meet their NOAA's qualifications for a temperature station. Uh, they need to take another good look at this. Uh, and even their best monitoring stations, I looked at them. Uh, we just, I'm working on, I'll be going to Wyoming to testify in two weeks. And we looked at the Wyoming specific data, just like we did for the Midwest. And we find that the adjustments, all these three types of adjustments for urban heat island, uh, fabrication of data, uh, and the t- time of day, all of those cooled the old temperatures before 1980 and warmed the temperatures post-1980. So what does that do? It accentuates the warming that we're seeing, and that's what they want. Um, but even even without that, we start, again, we are warming, uh, but not not dangerously. And again, history tells us that's really, really good for humanity. Yeah, there, well, there's no question about that. Um, you mentioned uh, Anthony Watts, and uh, I wanted to ask you, because in this article in the Epic Times, or in this very big feature that they did here, he talks about transient temperatures. I don't think I've heard that phrase before. What, is that, what does that mean? I'm going to have to beg off here. I'm not sure what that is. Oh, okay. Back and look. I, yeah, I, it was, it was something from Noah. Yeah, it was something mm-hmm. from Noah. What it says, what it what it says is it's a secondary, a second primary bias that uh, Watts identified is transient temperature readings, which are short term temperature changes that can give a false reading. And that's, it speaks. That's it. Okay. okay. So what they do is if they 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 also provide maximum daytime temperatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of these, they, they, it could be almost instantaneous where it spikes. Let's say a, uh, a semi-truck is parked next to the temperature monitoring, and it stays there for five minutes, and it spikes the temperature by eight degrees. Well, they take that as the, as the high temperature for the day, uh, and it's just completely he, – he, he went through in his report and detailed uh, in great detail. You could see these spikes for just, oh, just you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it spiked five, six, eight degrees, and then come right back down. Uh, and so those are those are the transient temperature anomalies he's talking about okay. um, that should just be erased. Uh, they shouldn't do that. But, but their goal is to make warming, they need to exaggerate the warming, and then link it to, to every uh, tragedy that arises or, every, or any unusual weather is, is uh, attributed uh, to CO2-driven warming. We are talking to Gregory Wrightstone. He's the uh, executive director of the CO2 Coalition and the author of uh, Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. He is a geologist and he is an expert reviewer for the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So I wanted could, to, could um, I, yeah. Could, could I jump in here? I, actually, I, I've, I've just got my uh, new book that was published just last week. It's called oh. A Very Convenient Warming. You'll like the title. A very convenient warming, how modest warming and more CO2 are benefiting humanity. And it's, it's an exploration of what we just talked about, about I'm glad, I'm glad uh, thriving ecosystems. Oh, it's, yeah, again, it was just published. Uh, in fact, Amazon ran out. I think they, they just saw they restocked today, but they were out for a week uh, that it sold out quickly. Fantastic. And so that, yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. I apologize. I didn't, I didn't know that came out last week. So we'll definitely have to talk about that again in the future when I get a chance to look at it, too. But going back to the um, to the report that uh, led to our conversation today, Roy Spencer is a, uh, is a scientist, research scientist at the University of Alabama. He just put out a report a week ago, January 24th, that talks about the inaccuracies of these climate models. Warming of the globe, quoting him, Warming of the global climate system over the past half century has been averaged 43%, has averaged rather 43% less than that produced by computerized climate models used to promote changes in energy policy. Contrary to media reports and environmental organizations' press releases, global warming offers no justification for carbon-based regulation, end quote. And I know that is a big point that you and I talked about the last time we spoke, that carbon-based regulation is absolutely the wrong the wrong. Uh, um, uh, a way to tackle this or to address this because carbon is actually good for the the uh, the environment and as you point out it gives us the necessary warming that we need exactly and you know there, there's some out there somewhat on our side like bjorn lomberg and schellenberger uh, schellenberger that they start from the assumption that there's a problem that needs solved and we don't give an inch on that uh there there is no climate crisis that needs solving uh, and carbon taxation is, will be nothing but economically destructive. Uh, and even if they got and it was successful at reducing CO2 in our atmosphere, which I hope it doesn't because, again, it's, it's such a huge benefit, it has just an enormously small uh, effect on our temperature. The temperature is being driven by forces other than greenhouse gases and CO2. And, again, the, the biggest greenhouse gas is water vapor by by far. Uh, and so if we look at these climate models he's referencing, uh, he and his, his colleague, John Christie, at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, uh, they've done extensive work. And their, their work uh, just recently uh, that preceded what you, you referenced concluded that the climate models, there were 102 climate models, uh, the average of those overpredicted warming by two and a half times too much, three times too much in the tropics, um, and there was one climate model that got it right, or very close, and that was the Russian model. Well, it, when we compare it from modeling temperatures to actual temperatures, well, wouldn't just wouldn't it stand to reason if you've got one model that actually is able to predict it pretty accurately? Why don't we just use that model and dis, disregard the others that uh, the, that over overblow the amount of warming we're going to see? Uh, that's what any rational person should do. That sounds but reasonable even to a layperson like myself. I mean, it's, everything you're talking about is common sense. And, of course, they don't allow that in the premises. That's not allowed on the premises. Common sense isn't allowed to, especially if it does contradict any of the junk science that they are trying to. You know, that's the the most frustrating part about it is they are literally practicing junk science and then accusing you and others who deny uh, the existence of, you know, this climate crisis of, of being the, you know, the pseudoscientists. We're, we're called science deniers. Well, yes. uh, you know, if we look at it, and actually history, historians admit that there were past warming periods and past cold periods, and the warming periods were hugely beneficial. They ignore that. I would call those people history deniers. I'm a science denier. And, again, we just brought Dr. John Clauser onto our board of directors. Uh, he's the current Nobel laureate in physics. Uh, he... he states over and over and over again he supports us there is no climate crisis there's not a climate crisis that needs fixed um and in fact uh he was honored 
uh, in the spring at the White House by Joe Biden for having for winning the Nobel Prize in Physics. And afterwards, he shook Joe's hand. He said, "Sir, you're, the science that you're using to set energy and climate policy is incorrect." And Joe got angry, and he told he told John, he said, "You're just spouting right wing science." So Joe Biden's lecturing the current Nobel laureate in physics about science. That uh, is a remarkable you know, story. I yeah. cannot believe that has not been you know, made public, or at least uh, it made the rounds enough, because I did not hear that. Well, how long ago was it, did he get that award? It was, uh, well, he got it, I believe, at the end of the year, which is around the turn of okay. this, this year. Okay, yeah, so it's, it's like a, a month ago well, or a month and a half ago. Like, no, 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 excuse me. It was early 2023, sorry. Early, that's and he okay. was in the White House in, I think, uh, March of 2023. Was, it, was there any was there any uh, um, a documentation of that conversation? Well, he he's reported it in various interviews. He, okay, he I just wondered if it was on any hot mics or or recorded any video or anything else because uh, I find that hilarious. I've not seen, I've the not Nobel laureate in physics telling Joe Biden the reality of it, and Joe Biden, with all yeah. of his experience and knowledge, saying, "Ah, oh, that's right." <laughs> that's well, he blew, he blew up when well, he traveled to uh, uh, Seoul, Korea last year. Uh, to and uh, gave the uh, keynote lecture at the at this quantum physics conference because he's a quantum physicist mm-hmm. and and in it he famously stated flat out there is no climate crisis and that and that just uh, things blew up after that and wow. uh, so they tried been, to take his prize his Nobel laureate prize away. Uh, but boy, I'll tell you what, that's an amazing story. Gregory Wrightstone, the, the new book, I've got it in front of me now, or at least the, the Amazon page, A Very Convenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. Gregory Wrightstone, Executive Director of the CO2, CO2 Coalition. Gregory, so much great information here. We could talk for an hour or longer. Maybe next time we will. Maybe we'll get you on the TV show like I mentioned earlier uh, with uh, with uh, your our, our fellow uh, colleague and acquaintance, uh, um, uh, um, Stephen uh, uh, Gorham, no Steve, Steve Gorham, Steve Gorham. Yeah, Steve Gorham, I had Steve okay. Gorham on, and he mentioned you, and you mentioned him, and I thought we got to get a three-way conversation going here yeah. on the TV program. It would be great information for people to know. But Gregory, let's, thank you for the time. Let's do it. Really appreciate what you do. Uh, best of luck with the book, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, there you go. Yeah, Steve Gorham is my guy I already had on the TV show. We need to get Gregory Wrightstone on with him. The two of them, between their areas of expertise, will just blow the lid off of all of this. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, it's 11.36. On this Wednesday, appreciate you being with us. 216-901-0945. is the phone number to join us. Uh, thanks for being with us. See if we can do something fun here for a moment. Wait until you hear the story I've got to share with you right after this song. A little ditty about Zach and Suzanne. One American kid growing up in the era of trans. Zach was going to be a football star. 
until TikTok said, hey, how you even know what you are? She is the brave and beautiful new face of a child born in the wrong body. And know this, you're so brave. Flipping through a dirty book he wasn't even supposed to see. Zachy looked down at his lap and put his hand between his knees. He said, why did the teacher say I shouldn't have these? And why is the counselor asking if I'm a he or a she? Say, uh, oh yeah, the grooming is strong. On my phone screen and the folks are both gone. Oh yeah, all my friends say come on. When the school bell rings and the peer pressure's on, I move on. Gender Queer, a memoir, All Boys Aren't Blue. These are books that are not only popular, in some cases are classics. To parents of transgender children, affirming your child's identity is one of the most powerful things you can do to keep them safe and healthy. Zach doesn't act on the spur of the moment. Picks up the phone and says, hey, maybe I think. Well, you did the right thing, says the clinic director. And don't worry, young lady, you won't feel a thing. And Zachy said, uh, oh yeah, the pressure is on. Confused young kids, not supposed to tell mom. Oh yeah, now that Disney show's on, it must be okay. Look how happy they're drawn. The LGBTQ kids. It's not a fad or a face. And I tell parents that even though they may feel or want to believe that. Make it stop, get control, don't let the evil come and take their souls, let them be preteens as long as they can, let the girls and boys grow up to be women and men. Ain't but two genders, two genders, ain't nothing but men and women. What I'm saying to you is that as you are not an expert in this book, I don't have to hold be an expert. No, 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 about Zach, a young man, one American kid who knows he's not really Suzanne. Ain't but two genders, two genders, ain't nothing but men and women. Gotta give it up to my boy, Johnny Hiles, for nailing the vocals. I don't know why. It's the same reason I don't know why I wrote the um, uh, Hunters in the Basement parody, uh, but I did. I wrote it, and thank God I have talented people around me like Johnny who can uh, can do the vocals for things like this. Dale Officer, Johnny Hiles, i got some tremendous talent here. So outstanding job by those guys. Thank you. So um, this is the story that I said you, you're, you're just, what do we do with these things? The El Paso, Texas Police Department has apparently teamed up with an LGBTQ organization 
to create new inclusive procedures for little jacks who do think they are Suzanne while they are carjacking somebody. Or little Suzannes who think they're jacks while they are uh, robbing somebody. Because this is what the new plan is for the police thing. You ask that when we encounter an individual that we ask what their preferred name, gender identity, and pronoun would be when we address them. And to refer to those individuals that request to be called a specific name, that we use that in our conversations with them. You ask- so apparently now, rather than actually being concerned with public safety, we're concerned with not misgendering the rapists, the carjackers, the robbers, the looters, the shooters, the assaulters. We just we have to make sure that we call them what they want to be called. I'm curious as to how far they would carry that. I'm curious if I get pulled over for speeding and if I tell them my name is King and you shall refer to me as your highness during the duration of this ticket writing episode, I wonder if they would do it. Did you hear what she just said? We ask them what names and pronouns they prefer and we will use them. that when we encounter an individual that we ask what their preferred name, gender identity, and pronoun would be when we address them. And- so if I say my name is King, my preferred gender or my gender identity is I identify as Blue Blood Royal and uh, my preferred pronoun is Your Highness, they have to do it. Who the hell are they to tell me that I can't be whatever name I want to be and whatever pronoun I want, whatever, whatever identity that I want? Who are they? No, this is this is this is the insane. Look, I think we are approaching a point where what the United States has become is a 335 million patient insane asylum. That's what we've become. We've got a government that is more concerned with validating uh, um, uh, psychological disorders and telling them, no, you're not psychologically impaired. You're just a-okay. You're normal the way you are. You might be a dude with a beard who's got uh, full-on male genitalia, but if you put on that skirt and some lipstick, man, I'll tell you what, I'd call you a woman. We are validating from the government level, through the education level, through the corporation level, through the cultural level, validating psychological... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.